0: Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of being gathered together to study your word now. And Lord, as we get ready to open the Bible, we need Jesus to please speak to our hearts and to our minds. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to lead us closer to you. Lord, it's our desire to have a clearer revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here studying the book of Revelation this evening. And Father, we just pray that you would guide our minds and our thoughts, and that you would help us to be drawn closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, when you come to a seminar on the book of Revelation, and it's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ, how many of you are expecting to learn something new? I can tell you that I'm expecting to learn something new, right? Anytime that Jesus is revealed, do you think we're just going to hear the same old thing? Well, obviously there's going to be things that we know and things that we hear. But as we continue to study the Bible, do you ever learn more about Jesus? Well, I don't know. I remember my first grade of high, uh, first grade of school that I thought I knew everything about life, right? I thought that after my first year in the first grade that there was nothing more to learn, and then I went on to the second grade, right? And the third grade. Then I went on to middle school and then to high school and then to college, and then wherever else, and I constantly was still learning, and I think it's the same way with the Scriptures, amen? That we're constantly learning more about Jesus so that we can be drawn closer to Him. And tonight we're going to be looking at a very important topic of Scripture called Revelation's Eternal Son. Now, we live in a time that's very interesting, a time where people are trying to understand where it is that we came from and how this world began. You're familiar with that, Right? In 1831, there was a man by the name of Charles Darwin. How many of you have heard that name before? Charles Darwin, who ended up going to the Galapagos Islands. And what's interesting to note about Charles Darwin is he was actually studying or preparing to be a minister before going to the Galapagos Islands. Now after going to the Galapagos Islands, Charles Darwin was trying to answer the question, how did life begin and how did we get here and where are we going? And as he was there he started to study some different birds and different animals and things like that and he started to understand that we might have come here in a different way than he previously thought. He wrote a book called The Origins and Species, right? Many of you have heard that or maybe even studied it in school. And what Charles Darwin learned was that the way we got here to this earth was that we started out as just kind of a a, a mix of parts, right? And as time went on and time progressed, we started to evolve into different forms of life. And we would continue to to uh, evolve from one lower form of life to a next higher form of life and a higher, higher form, higher form, higher form until we get to where we are today. Now what's really interesting to note about this is that all of this study into trying to figure out why it is that life had started and where we were going. Now it's interesting that once he was starting to study to be a minister, and then he actually became the very founder, or not the founder of evolution, but kind of the one who popularized the theory of evolution, which is a competing theory of where we came from today. Now many of you have looked up into the stars and thought, is it possible that God really created us, or did we come from just a series of evolutionary processes that brought us to the point where we are today? Now the question of origin is very profound to people. I have a friend, two friends actually, in high school, and they didn't ever know who their father was. They were adopted into a family, they never knew who their biological parents were, and for them there was this great search of wanting to know where they came from. Now I think God's put that desire in our hearts, right? We want to know where we're from, because knowing where we're from helps us to know where we're going. Well, did you know that the book of Revelation actually tells us in a very clear way not only what our origin is, but also the purpose as to why God created us and a lot of interesting passages. So tonight we're going to be looking at God's origin and purpose in our lives and how that leads into the book of Revelation. Notice with me a few passages of Scripture. There's several passages of Scripture and where we get a little glimpse into the throne room of heaven or a heavenly worship service. Revelation chapter 4 is one of these, and I would invite you to turn there. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. And we're going to notice what it is that happens in heaven. And notice the words that the angels use as they praise the Lord for His goodness. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And notice it continues on. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you did what? Created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now what does this tell us about our origin in life? Now many of us have read the Scriptures before, right? And we've started in the book of Genesis where we see that God is the one that created all life. Now, what is it that the angels and those who are worshiping God in heaven tell him that because of this worship, or because of His creation, that he's worthy of? Well, it tells us that he's worthy of what? To receive glory and honor and power. What would we summarize that as? Because God created us, He's worthy to receive worship. right? And we see that throughout the passage here. Now as we look at how the world began and how life started, we realize that the only reason why you and I are here today is because there is a God in heaven who created us, amen? Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, before I formed you in the belly I knew you. In other words, God is the one who is so close to us as his creatures that he was willing to form us. We see in the, the Genesis account that it tells us that the Lord God was willing to bend down and to form us from the dust of the earth. Revelation chapter 7, verse 12 says, "...Thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen." Now notice it continues on in Revelation chapter 10 giving praise to the Lord and notice why they're praising the Lord. It's because He who lives forever and ever who created what? heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it. Now this is a very elementary beginning to a topic for those of you coming out to study on the book of Revelation. You're thinking, I'm looking to study Revelation, not the origin of life in the Bible, right? And we're not going to be looking at this throughout the whole night, but what's very fascinating to note is that the angels in heaven and those who are worshiping God are worshiping God for one reason. Since God created, He deserves our worship. Now we talked about this in night number three, that Satan was trying to usurp from God the very thing that God deserved, right? Satan wanted worship as well, not because he created us, but because cre- he created a new system that would cause us to worship that. And then we'll talk about that in a later night of Revelation chapter 13, understanding the Antichrist power and the system that Satan has set up. But we realize, according to Revelation, that the only one who deserves worship is Jesus Christ because he made us. Now what we're going to look at next in Revelation chapter 14, this is really the heart of of the study this evening, and it's going to take several passages in Scripture to kind of unpack it and understand it. But notice this passage. It's the last gospel message, as Revelation tells it, being shared to the entire world. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And obviously, Revelation uses symbolic language, but we're going to kind of Im- unpack the symbolic language to understand what it is that God is telling us. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and do what? Worship Him. Why are we worshiping him? Because he has made heaven and earth, the seas, and the fountains of water. Now here in Revelation chapter 14, we see something very similar to what we saw in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 10, that all of Revelation is centered around the idea of worship. And the question is, why is it that we worship God, or how is it that we worship God, is dictated by what God did, and that's the very fact that He's the Creator. Now Revelation chapter 14 verse 6 tells us, as we're reading through this, it just says that there was Angels flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. What does that mean and how is that significant for us today? Well, we realize that if it was just an angel flying overhead holding a piece of paper that was the gospel, why would that really matter to us? But we see that the idea of an angel, angel also means a messenger, right? That's what God uses the angels for, to send messages of mercy and messages of judgment, messages of everything else. That there's an angel or a messenger who's flying in the midst of heaven. unless—and In other words, he's flying in a very visible place, right? If a plane flies overhead, are you able to see it? Yes. And here's an angel flying in the midst of heaven. And what is it that this angel possesses? It says that he possesses the, what are those words? Everlasting gospel. Now how many of you want a different type of gospel other than the everlasting gospel? Right? That's not why we're here. We want the everlasting gospel. And notice what he says the everlasting gospel is. He says that he has it to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Well, who is it? It's to preach to everyone, right? Isn't that what he says? To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And how is it to be proclaimed? It says, saying with a loud voice. In other words, it's supposed to be clear and everyone's supposed to hear it. And what is this message that's so important to God that He's sending His messengers in the last days to bring the everlasting Gospel? What is the message that the Lord is bringing to us? Well, it tells us the very beginning of the message is that we are to fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His, God's judgment, has come. And to worship who? Worship Him, and how that describes the Him here is the Creator, right? Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the seas and the springs of water. Now the question we're looking for is how do we worship the Creator of heaven and earth? Now many of us have been raised in the Christian faith and we understand very, you know, various bits and pieces of what it means to worship the Lord and to give Him glory and honor and all those different things. But tonight we want to look very specifically is in connection with God being the Creator, is there something that helps us understand how we can worship Him more fully that will give us wisdom for today? notice what it says. I think if we, if we want to learn how to worship the Creator, we should go back to Genesis where we find the story of creation. Would you agree? We've already looked here a little bit before in Genesis chapter 3, understanding the problem of sin. But tonight we want to look at Genesis chapter 1 and beginning, trying to understand what it is that God has created and how is it that understanding God as the Creator changes the way that we worship Him. Notice if it's important that God declares it over and over again in Revelation, it had better be important to us today. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Many of you can quote this passage without even looking. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now how many of you can say amen that we know where we're coming from? That God created the heavens and the earth. You know the beautiful story of Scripture is that God didn't just create us and then abandon us. But God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything perfect. And at the end of His creation, after He had created all the world as perfectly as possible, which if God, He can only make perfect things, He creates it as perfectly as God can. And at the end of it, when everything is good, then God places us on the earth. Now we know that on the first day, God said, let there be light. And there was what? There was light. And we continue on to the days of creation. And God created by the word of His mouth and it reassures us that the Word of God is still powerful today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the same word that was able to speak the world into existence can still speak to our hearts and transform us? I know I've seen it in my life over and over again, and many of you can testify of the same thing, but notice, let's skip forward to day number six. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27. After God had created a perfect environment for man to dwell in, notice what He says, Genesis chapter one. Verse 26 and 27. He says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now many of us think that this is where the creation week ends, right? That God had done all of His work, that He'd made all things perfect, and at the end of all the perfect creation that God had made, the crown of His creation was you and I. Any time that we think that we're not important to God, we can remember that we were the most important creation that He ever made. Even if it feels like no one else cares for us, we know that God cares for us. That God was there and He intimately knows us. But notice the very next thing that God does in Genesis chapter 2. Now after He had created man, He tells how He gives man dominion over all of the things of the earth. But in Genesis chapter 2, we find something interesting. Genesis chapter 2, at the end of the creation week, we see Genesis chapter 2 in verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them were now, what's interesting to note about Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, that God, after finishing His physical acts of creation, does something that's so beautiful that shows us about the character of God. So after He finishes all these things, he, he steps back and He remembers the power that He has and allows man to re- reflect on the goodness of God. As David is thinking and pondering about creation, notice the words that he writes in Psalm 33, verse 6. It says, By the word the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth for he spake and it was done he commanded and it did what it stood fast have you ever wondered if the promises of God are true we can know that if God says it we can believe it because he's faithful to complete what he said so God as as he stands back and as he looks at the works of creation it says thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them and notice verse two and three It says, and on the seventh day, God did what? Ended His work, right? We know creation week was over. He ended His work which He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Notice verse 3. It says, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it He had rested from all His work which He had created and made. Now this is a beautiful thing about creation. That God, after creating us, God knew that we needed something that would keep us from working ourselves to death, right? And that's called the day of rest. Notice God gave the seventh day Sabbath. It was given at creation. And it was to be God's perpetual reminder of our roots. You see, God created the world. He created us. And then He says, I want you to take a day Can you imagine the first day on the job for Adam and Eve Eve was taking a day off? And as he calls them, he creates them and he gives them this day off, but he makes this day very special. Notice how the Bible describes it here. It says there's three things that God did. It tells us that God blessed the seventh day. Then it tells us that God sanctified the seventh day. And then it tells us that God rested on it. Now you might be saying, what, what significance is that really today? Well, I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to sanctify something? We might hear some different versions, and I can't hear you too well, but one is to make something holy, right? God makes something holy. How many people can make things holy? No one, right? Only a holy God can make something holy, And we realize that God, when he gets to the end of creation week, he says, hey, the first thing I need to do is give you a holy day on which you can rest and experience and reflect on my goodness of creation. So God blesses the day. He sanctifies it. He makes it holy. He sets it apart. And then what does God do? He rests. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever read this passage of Scripture and thought, why in the world is God resting? I mean, God, the all-powerful God who made the universe, took a rest because he was exhausted? Do you think God just couldn't take more than six days of work without getting <laughs> tired? No, God rested because he wanted to. Unbelievable. How many of you have ever tried to get a meeting with the president? Well, the reason why we probably haven't tried is because we realized that we would quickly fail, Right. If you ever wanted to see how hard it was to get a meeting with the president, I would encourage you to just try it. And if you ever get a meeting, let me know because I haven't heard of anyone who's had one yet, right? In the United States, and it would be so difficult to be able to spend any time with him, even just a few minutes. But here, the God, the creator of the universe, says that he wants to rest to take a special day with his now, I don't know about you, but that should make you feel pretty good. If you feel like you don't have any friends, at least you know that there's a God of the universe who created all things, who wants to spend time with you. Now, notice that the Bible continues on to discuss this. And it tells us that the origin of the Sabbath is the Creator Himself. In other words, when we look at creation week, we see that God did all of these things and we know the various acts that God created or things that God created, but we often forget the fact that God created a very special day in which we can just spend with Him. It's a day where we can take time off, where we're to follow His example, where we're to rest and draw closer to our Creator. Well, tonight, if you notice with me in Genesis chapter 2, after what we've just looked at, It tells us that God ended His work, which He had done, and He blessed it and He sanctified it and He made it holy. And all of these things happen. And this makes you think of various places in Scripture where we see that God has told us in other places that we should rest as well. Does anyone think of those passages of Scripture? Notice with me, if you look here, we talked last night about the law of God that endures forever, right? The law is the character of God. It's the very foundation of His government. And what we realize is that in the very law of God, God had given us this same reminder to remember the day that He had created. Notice with me, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 10. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 10. And as you read this, it's almost an exact quote of what you read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. And and notice it with me here. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to do what? Keep it holy. Why are we keeping it holy? Well, because God blessed it. He sanctified it, right? He made it holy, so we can only keep something holy that God has made holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And why would God tell us to remember something? Now, many of us have come to Exodus chapter 20, and we thought, well, this must be the very origin of the Sabbath, right? But how many of you can remember something you were never told? How many of you remember things that you've never learned before? Right, that's not remembering, that's learning, right? But God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In other words, this is something that people already knew about long before the time of the Ten Commandments. Now we know that the Ten Commandments were given about 2,000 years after the, the Garden of Eden experience happened. So we see God in Eden teaching His people to rest, but somewhere along the line, His people had forgotten to spend time with their Creator. Now, do you think it's because many people today have forgotten to spend time with their Creator that we have all this confusion about origins today? Did God really create me? Is God really around? Does God really care? But we realize that the people, because they had been in bondage to slavery in Egypt, that they weren't allowed to rest on the day that God had created for them. But now, after they're brought out of the land of Egypt, notice even how God introduces Exodus chapter 20 Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, God tells them this very thing. And He says, And God spoke all these words saying that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage, and therefore He gives the next ten commandments. In other words, when they were in bondage, they couldn't experience rest, right? How many of you know of slaves that get days off? But we realize that when they had come out of that experience, they had forgotten to spend this special time with God And God says, hey, I want you to remember that there's a very special day that I want to spend with you as my people. And he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the what? The Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now, some people have read this and they've looked at the Ten Commandments and they say, well, it's the Sabbath of not the Lord their God, but it's the Sabbath of the Jews. You know, this is the Sabbath not for all of us, but it's just the Sabbath that the Jews are supposed to experience. Well, one interesting thing to note here, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we continue on, because we want to see what the Bible says about this, right? Not just one passage of Scripture. We realize that the Jews weren't even created for 2,300 years until, the time, or until after the time of creation. Does that make sense? In other words, creation happens, the Sabbath is established, and then for 2,300 years, there's no one keeping the Sabbath as a Jew because there's not even a Jew yet. But God is telling these people, hey, this isn't a Sabbath for the Jews. I don't only want to give rest to the Jews, I want to give rest to all people so that they can experience the blessing of the Lord, that they can reflect on creation, and they can remember my goodness to them. Now notice how the passage continues. It says, in it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gate. You know, this is the beautiful thing about God, is God doesn't care what your rank is in His kingdom, but you still get the same benefits. In other words, you all get paid time off, regardless of if you're a slave or if you're the owner, and God longs for His people, regardless of their class, to spend time with Him. That's a beautiful thing about God. Now it continues on and it tells us why is it that we're to remember the Sabbath day? Why are we to do all these things? He gives us the very reason. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord did what? Blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Now how many of you, as you're reading through this, you're thinking of Revelation chapter 14? I would encourage you, I'm not going to turn on the screen to Revelation chapter 14, but just open your Bible so you can compare with this, noting that this is not just a coincidence that these are being related, Exodus chapter 20 verse 11, and Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. What's interesting to note is Revelation often quotes from the Old Testament in well over 300 times, and this is one of the longest direct quotes that you'll find in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14 verse 7 tells us that we are to fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment is come, and we are to worship Him who made heaven, earth, the seas, and the springs of water. Now when this one tells us, it tells us that He is the Lord that made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. In other words, when God is giving this message in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, he's saying, I want, there's this loud cry going out throughout all the earth and this angel coming as a messenger, proclaiming the everlasting gospel, and why would the angel be telling us and carrying this gospel out if it wasn't something we had forgotten? You see, God is telling us, hey, I want you to realize something. I created a very special day for you. All the way in the time of the beginning, I didn't want you to be working yourself to death, but I wanted you to realize that I'm a God who longs to spend time with you. And again in Exodus, we see God reiterating and recapitulating to the people that he's a God who wants to spend time with his children. You see, the Sabbath was never exclusively a Jewish institution. It was given for all humanity. Now, now just go with me on this line of reasoning. For just a second, let's imagine that the Sabbath was just given for the Jews, okay, just for the sake of illustration. Now, why would we say that the Sabbath was given to the Jews? You know, there's all different sorts of reasons that we can talk about. But one very interesting thing is they say, well, you know, it's in the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments were just given to the Jews, and it was just for the Jews. Well, does that mean that God only wanted Jews not to kill each other? Or did God want to prevent us from being killed as well? Did God want us to experience a life free of the pain of adultery? Did God want us to experience a life free of lying and the pain of that? Absolutely. We looked at that last night, right? So if we are to say that the Sabbath was just for the Jews, we would have to say that then thou shall not kill was only for the Jews. That do not commit adultery was only for the Jews. And then because of that, you can go ahead and just grab your neighbor's purse right now and walk out the doors because it's okay with God, right? But we realize that God didn't give this blessing exclusively for one group of people, but that he longed for all of us to have it. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this and I get really excited because I've been a student for many years. And as a student, I don't realize why teachers do this to students, but there seems to always be that teacher who thinks that his class is the only class that you have. Now, some of you have only been, you've been out of school for a little too long to remember this, but you can think of it in the scenario of work as well. And that teacher loves to pile on assignment after assignment and paper after paper and all of these things, and that's one of your classes (laughs) out of six. Well, what happens if you have several of those types of teachers in one semester? Well, you realize that you could spend your whole time in school constantly going, 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 going without ever taking time to reflect on the goodness of God. You know what God tells us here in Genesis and Exodus and what we're going to see throughout the rest of the Bible is that God is a God who doesn't want us just to continue through life working so hard that we forget about His saving grace. But God is a God who wants us to take time to reflect on His goodness, to see the beauty of how He loves us, and to be drawn closer to Him as a result of that. And this is one of the greatest blessings that I have found. Now, notice what Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12 says, and this is a powerful passage of Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, and this is the Lord speaking. He says, moreover, I also gave them my what? My Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who does what? Who sanctifies them. You see, God has given us the Sabbath because He blessed it. He sanctified it. He made it holy. And as we rest on the Sabbath, we rest from our labors. And how many of you remember the passage? It goes like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of, what's that word? Works, lest any man should boast. You know, this is the beauty of the Sabbath. The Lord says when you can come to the point where you take a whole day and you spend it with me, you're finally setting aside that ideology of that you have to work in order to be saved. God says when you can rest in my ability to save you, when you can spend a whole day with me focusing on my goodness. This is the beauty of what salvation means. You see, God has given us the Sabbath to reflect, to remind us of his faithfulness and his desire to sanctify us as well. Now, some people ask, well, did Jesus keep the Sabbath? I've told you already multiple times that I'm a very simple person. If Jesus did it, I want to do it. If Jesus didn't do it, I don't want to do it. Now, there are some things I don't want to do, and I understand I don't have to do that Jesus did do, right? Jesus was crucified, and I don't ever want to be crucified because I realized he did that on my behalf, right? You understand what I'm saying, though. If Jesus read the Bible, I want to read the Bible. If Jesus prayed to the Father, I want to pray to the Father. If Jesus thought the Sabbath was important to him, I want to think the Sabbath is important to me as well. Notice what Jesus did. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 and this is a very powerful passage that helps us to understand was the Sabbath important to Jesus. Now, notice the words that Luke decides to use and Luke was a doctor and so he has very calculated language to be specific and he says and he came to where Nazareth and this is talking Nazareth and this is talking about Jesus where he had been brought up. And as his what was as his custom was. Now, how does something become a custom? How many of you have a custom of brushing your teeth every morning? I, I hope so, right? You have a custom of brushing your teeth. That's a custom, right? Now, can you have a custom that you do spasmodically? If I only do something once every week or once, I mean, once every year, is that a custom? No, 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 that's just kind of weird, right? So we realize that this is Jesus' custom. What was his custom? It says that he went into the synagogue on what day? On the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now this is a very interesting passage of scripture. Jesus tells us that he had a custom that was very peculiar. And it's the custom that we see that's in line with creation, right? Just as God rested from creation in all his work, and actually we're told in Hebrews chapter one, that Jesus is the active agent at creation, right? That Jesus is the one who spoke the world into existence, that he was there with the Father. And so just as the world was created and God created the Sabbath, We see not only that the Sabbath was important in Genesis, that it was important in Exodus, we see that it was important all throughout the Old Testament, and we also see that it's important to Jesus himself. Now Jesus, what does it say that he went to the synagogue? We don't really have synagogues around here today, but we have churches, right? This is Jesus' practice that he took the day as a special time to spend with God and with God's people. You know, some people say, well, I'm going to keep the Sabbath, I'm just going to do it at home by myself. And I would say, well, that's fine, but if we want to keep it like Jesus did, then we have to be spending time with other like-minded believers just as Jesus was doing. And notice that he didn't go to church just to be an innocent bystander, but he participated, right? And that's what we know is really the encouragement and the the desire that God has for each one of us, that we would participate with other like-minded believers, spending time in God's Word, drawing closer to Him. Now, it's beautiful to note that Jesus did the very thing that the Father tells us. Now, notice what else Jesus says about the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, and it says the Sabbath was made for man, not what? Man for the Sabbath. In other words, God designed the Sabbath to be a blessing to us, not for us to be a blessing to the Sabbath. Now, sometimes I've been confused by that language, but let me give you an illustration that helped me. Cars were made for mankind, not mankind for automobiles. Does that make sense? In other words, cars weren't designed because we, you know, they were designed for our benefit, not that we were designed for their benefit, right? And we see that this is what happens with the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given by God to us as a time to rest. Why do we need that time to rest? Well, Exodus, or Ezekiel chapter 20 told that, that it was a time that we could be sanctified by coming close to Jesus and close to him in his word, right? Now notice that the Sabbath, Jesus says that it was his custom. He says that it was made for man and we realize that the Sabbath is a sign that we worship God exclusively. Now we'll talk about this more tomorrow, understanding the, the issue of the Sabbath and if it really relates to end time issues. But he says that it was, a time, it was a sign that we exclusively worship him and that we love him supremely. Now you say, how is that possible? I want to ask you a question. If, you, if someone has a birthday, my birthday's coming up tomorrow, by the way. I'm, I'm glad to be able to spend it with you guys. If someone has a birthday, how does that person know that that birthday is important to you? Now, my birthday just happens to be April 5th. And if all of you came on April 15th and said, we just celebrated your birthday today. You know, you're so important to us. Thank you so much. I would think, yeah, right. You know, you missed my birthday by 10 days. It really didn't matter to you. Now, please, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I hate birthdays and notifications, but it's just an illustration. But we realize that in order to know that someone is important to you, you spend time with them on the day that's important to them, right? Anniversaries, right? How many of you have ever missed your anniversary? I don't want to see a show of hands but you realize that it's a day that's very important, right? And if you miss that day, the person who's associated with that day feels left out. And God says, hey, there's one day that I've specifically associated myself with, and that's the seventh-day Sabbath. I've come into that day and I've blessed it, I've sanctified it, I've made it holy. Now, some people say, well, can't I worship God every day? Well, absolutely. But if we kept the Sabbath every day, we would be homeless. Because God tells us in the Sabbath we're not supposed to be working, we're not supposed to be doing secular things, but we're supposed to be tending specific time with Jesus. Now this is a beautiful thing, that the Sabbath is a sign that we worship Him exclusively and that we love Him supremely. You know, the Sabbath is also a time where we get to reflect on creation. Just like on your birthday, you're reflecting on your last year of life. Or on your anniversary, you're reflecting on your marriage, right? The Sabbath is the memorial of creation. It's a time where are re- able to remember the power of God. Now you say, why is creation so important to remember? Well, did you notice throughout the Bible that creation is really the foundation for why we worship God, right? We already looked at those passages throughout Revelation. And as we remember creation, remember that God is so worthy of our allegiance and our praise. Now Paul also says something in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, and he says, "...for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined into our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ." Now what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is that John or Paul uses the illustration of God speaking light into existence, right? He says, "...for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness." What's he talking about there? First day of creation, Right? And as we remember the creative power of God to do and to make things happen through the power of his word, he says that God also wants to make that same light shine in our hearts, right? The light of Jesus Christ. And as we remember the Sabbath, we're able to reflect on the power of God in creation and also the power of God in salvation. You see, this is the beauty of what God gives us and spending spending a whole day together with him. Now notice Jesus also told us that the Sabbath isn't something that everyone has to be worried about, that the commandments aren't something that everyone has to be worried about, but notice what he does say. He says, if you love me, you do what? You keep my commandments, right? My birthday isn't important to everyone, only those who love me. Now I know you guys love me, we just don't give gifts to each other, that's okay. But we realize that if we love Jesus, we follow closely to him and do those things that he's calling us to do. As we see that Jesus was willing to give up his life on Calvary's cross, we say, Lord, if you've said that it's important in Genesis, if you reiterated it in the Ten Commandments, if Jesus' life shows it clearly, then it must be important to me as well. Now, notice we're going to look at a few other passages of Scripture because some people have the question, well, was the Sabbath just important up until the time of Jesus on the cross? Now, these are very fair questions. Because we realize that there was a transition that happened when Jesus died on the cross, right? We understand that the Bible tells us that there were things that happened, or when Jesus died on the cross, there were things that were no longer important and there were things that were still important, right? Now we can't just make up our own list of things that are important to God and not important to God. We have to allow God to show us that clearly from His Word, wouldn't you say that's fair? Now, there are some things that we've already looked at that we won't reiterate here that are done away with at the cross. One is the sacrificial system, right? Jesus was the Lamb of God, John chapter 1, verse 29, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And we realize that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, if you remember reading through the gospel stories, that the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom. You remember that? And why was it ripped from top to bottom? because the sanctuary services and the things that were in it were done. In other words, God's very presence used to dwell behind that curtain, but he says, hey, look, Jesus came, and who was God, and in the form of man, gave his life for all, so now the sanctuary services and all that's attached to it are no longer important. But now our question this evening is, does the Sabbath still matter to God after the cross, or was that just something before the cross that was supposed to matter? Notice Jesus' words. Let's go to the source himself. Matthew chapter 24, and you can turn there with me. Matthew chapter 24, verse 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. Now, we spent a whole night, the first night, looking at Matthew chapter 24, for those of you who remember it. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is describing to his disciples what's going to be happening in the end of the world. Remember, we talked about that, signs of his coming? but also he's describing to his disciples the destruction of Jerusalem and the signs that would be leading up to that. Remember, for those of you who didn't get that discussion or weren't here, we have a recording of that. It's night number one. But as Jesus is looking into the future, right, was the destruction of Jerusalem before or after the cross? Forty years after. It was 70 A.D. Was the second coming of Jesus before or after his first coming? It was after his first coming, right? The second coming can only come after the first. And we realize that Jesus is talking about future events here. And when he's talking about this, notice what he tells the people to be careful of. He says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies, like my wife, in those days. And pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the what? Sabbath. Now, why is Jesus telling them to, not, not be, to be praying that their flight is not in the winter. Well, is it hard to travel in the winter? For those of you, I, I lived in the UP two years ago, and I realized that it was hard to travel in the winter. Now imagine that without cars and snow plows. So Jesus is telling the people, hey, I want you to be careful. When the destruction of Jerusalem is coming, 70 A.D., 30 year, or 40 years after the cross, Pray that your flight isn't on the winter when you have to flee from Jerusalem. When Jesus is coming back soon, pray that you don't have to fly uh, flee away from other people in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Now, why on the Sabbath? Jesus says, "Hey, I don't want you to be worried about running from people on the Sabbath. That's a day that you're to spend with who? With me." Now, does this sound to you like the Sabbath was still important to Jesus after the cross? Now, this is just one passage, right? But after this passage, we can say, yes, this sounds like it's still important to Jesus. And we're going to notice as we continue on. You see, Jesus is the one who tells us that the Sabbath is important. Now, the next question that naturally comes up, and this will help us still answer our question, is the Sabbath, is it important for us today? But the question that some people ask is, well, what day is the Sabbath, right? What day is the biblical Sabbath? And this is a very fair question, and one which we, as good Bible students, need to be turning to our Bibles to find the answer to. Now, if we looked on our calendars, we know from Genesis chapter 2 that it says that God sanctified which day? The first day, second day, third day, fourth day? No, no, no. It was the seventh day, right, as the Sabbath of the Lord his God. We see that Exodus tells us that it's the seventh day that the Sabbath is what is referred to in Luke chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 2. So the question is, what day is the Sabbath? Well, if we were to look on our calendar today, we would realize that it's Saturday, but the question is, what does the Bible say to answer this question? Now, in order to answer this question, we're going to look at some chronology in Scripture dealing with the last few moments of Jesus' life on this earth. And through this sequence of events, we're going to be able to see clearly which day is the Sabbath, and which day is not the Sabbath. Notice what it says. We'll let the Bible explain itself. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man was laid. Now notice it continues on. And that day was what day? What does the Bible call it? The preparation day. Now the day that Jesus died, the Bible calls it the preparation day. What day do we call that? Friday, right? Good Friday is the day that Jesus died. Now, notice as it continues on. And it says, And that day was a preparation day, and the Sabbath did what? Drew on. In other words, got closer. And the woman also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld beheld the sepulchre and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and did what? And rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Okay, we're all together as we're reading through this. Notice how it continues on. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. Now, many of us have read this passage so many times, and it doesn't take a lot of explanation to understand what's happening here. But notice the sequence of events that we have outlined. It says, in Jesus' death, in the story of his, his death and crucifixion, Jesus was crucified on Friday. And that's why we celebrate Good Friday, or many in the Christian worlds do. So Jesus died, and the Bible calls that the preparation day, which was Friday. And then he rose on what day? Sunday, Sunday right? Everyone knows that Jesus rose on Sunday, Easter Sunday. And this is what, what happened between Friday and Sunday. Well, it says that he was in the grave on the Sabbath, and the women rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now this is very interesting, this helps us understand what day is the Sabbath according to the Bible. Well it's not Friday and it's not Sunday, but the Bible actually says that the Sabbath is Saturday. Now notice we're going to continue on and see, still answering, trying to understand this question, is this really what happened, is it really the Sabbath of the seventh day? Now, there's actually eight texts in the New Testament that talk about the first day of the week. Now, you have to understand that the name Sunday was not a name commonly used back then, right? That's a modern term that we use to designate the first day of the week. But Jesus and the Bible tells us that there's actually eight passages of Scripture that you can look at in all of the New Testament that talk about the first day of the week. Now tomorrow night we're actually going to look at that some before we get into the main part of our presentation and we'll look at every one of those passages. Five of them are actually included in the crucifixion story. Three others of them have, are, are in the uh, book of Acts and we'll be looking at those together. But there's only eight texts in the New Testament That mention the first day of the week, and in them, none of them tell us that we're to keep the first day of the week as the Sabbath. Now, we'll continue on. We'll look at those tomorrow, and it's okay to have questions, and we'll kind of unpack that to make sure we're not overlooking something. But many people say, well, the reason why we keep Sunday today as the Sabbath is is in honor of the resurrection. How many of you have heard that or have even said that before yourself or thought that? I mean, I've thought this many times. You know, we keep Sunday because in honor of the resurrection. Now, is that what the Bible tells us to do? Does the Bible tell us to rest on Sunday in accordance with giving honor to the resurrection? Well, notice with me that the Bible doesn't call us to keep Sabbath on Sunday but it actually calls us to do something else in honor of the resurrection. Notice with me, we're going to take it straight from the Bible, Romans chapter 6, and I would encourage you to go in your Bibles there so you know I'm not just making stuff up. I can put anything on the screen, but if it's in your Bible, you know it's true, right? So Romans chapter 6, verse 3, what is it that's supposed to be the symbol of the remembrance of the the crucifixion and mainly the resurrection of Jesus? Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, it says, "...or do you not know that as many of us as were," what? "...baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His," what? "...into His death." Okay, that makes sense. As we go down into the watery grave of baptism, we are baptized into the death of Jesus, and notice how it continues. "...therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, and just as Christ was," what? "...raised from the dead by the glory of the Father," Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. You know, what's interesting here is Paul says, hey, you don't have to, keep the, you don't have to worship on Sunday to honor the resurrection, but really what helps Christians in the New Testament time under the, under the New Covenant experience is when they can be baptized in respect and remembrance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus calls baptism like the watery graves that he went down to. And as he came up from the grave into newness of life, so we also come out of the water and experiencing the new life in Jesus. Now, we also understand that the definition of Sabbath is not one that's unknown to even the dictionary itself. Notice what the dictionary says the Sabbath is. It says the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week and uh, Saturday as the day of rest and religious observance. Now, many other people still wonder, well, is there other ways that we can understand what day the Sabbath is? Well, in over 140 different languages, the word for Saturday is the same word for Sabbath. Now, here's just a couple examples. In Spanish, where my family lives, they live in New Mexico, not Mexico, but New Mexico, right? You don't need a passport to get there. But they live in New Mexico and many people speak Spanish and the word for Saturday is sabado which means sabbath. Now in Russian we have a Russian neighbor actually lives right next to us and the word for sabbath in Russian is Sabota. and you see that in many other languages in Italian and French and German and all the many different languages 140 in all that the word for Saturday is actually the word sabbath. You see, God doesn't want us to be people guessing about what he's asking us to do. He doesn't want us to tell us about a blessing to experience and the rest to enjoy in Christ and then leave us confused about what day to experience the rest and joy in. But Jesus makes it very clear that Saturday, the seventh day of the week, is the Sabbath. You can ask the scientists who have studied time throughout the ages and they will tell you that the the weekly cycle has not changed. That Sabbath today has been Sabbath for the last thousands of years, and that we've followed through the times very consistently. And we can see that the Bible Sabbath that God has given to us is the blessing that He's always longed for us to enjoy. See, Jesus longs for us to experience the blessings, the remembrance of God's creative power and His blessings for us today. Now, notice this. We're going to look at a couple passages of Scripture. We're looking at the New Testament, right? After Jesus died on the cross, is the Sabbath still important? And notice what the apostle uh, says. It's actually Luke, the writer, but talking about Paul in Acts chapter 17. Notice what he says. And Paul, as his manner was went in unto them, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Now, out of that, you could just say, well, it was a Sabbath day. You don't know. Was he going to church? Was he not? But it seems to be that Paul was worshiping or something like that on Sabbath. But it gets more specific. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, this is a story of the apostles who were looking for a group to worship with and they were new to the area, but they went to the riverside on the Sabbath day. Why did they do that? Because prayer was customarily made there. In other words, they were looking for worship to experience on the Sabbath day. Now, notice Acts chapter 13, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them when? It says next Sabbath. You see, if the apostles were just keeping the Sabbath because that's what the Jews were doing, don't you think this would have been a great time for them to say to the Gentiles, hey, actually we worship on Sunday, so you don't have to worry about coming to church on Saturday. We'll just meet you tomorrow. But notice, it's not what happened. They actually just met there the next Sabbath. Acts chapter 13, verse 42 tells us that. Now, the two verses after that, it says the result of what happened. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of God. In other words, when we look from Genesis... All the way through the books of the prophets, or the the gospel writers, and the apostles in the New Testament, we see that the Sabbath was what was consistently observed as the blessed day of the Lord to spend time with Jesus and to draw closer to Him. Now as we look at Revelation, which has been the focus of our study, and as we're wrapping up, we want to understand what was the Sabbath in Revelation. Now, Revelation doesn't ever use the word Sabbath. And you can Google it, you can look through your concordance, you'll realize it's just not there. It also doesn't use the word the first day of the week. But it does use a term that gives us an idea of what day was the Sabbath for John. Now John tells us, Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, how many of you have heard this verse before? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now the question is, is it just says Lord's Day? Now that's a pretty neutral term to not tell us whether it's Sabbath or Sunday, right? We don't know. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And we know that the Lord made every day, so which day is he talking about specifically? Well, from the words of Jesus, we can piece together which John was the closest apostle to Jesus. And so as he's thinking about his beloved friend who has gone to heaven, notice the words that he uses are actually used to describe the day that Jesus calls the Sabbath. Notice what Jesus says. He says, for the Sabbath, or the Son of Man is Lord even of the what? The Sabbath, Matthew chapter 12, verse 8. Now, if the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, what day is the Lord's? The Sabbath day, right? Now, notice it continues on. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath, Mark 2, 28. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, Luke 6, 5. And so when John is writing, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, the only day that was the Lord's in a very special way was the Sabbath day. In other words, we can rest our case that as we look at the Bible and ask Jesus, Jesus, is there still a day that you're giving us to give us rest? You know, has God changed his mind and just wants us to be workaholics today? Or does he still have a blessing for us to experience? He says all the way from Genesis, all the way through the Bible even the example of Jesus, the example of the apostles, we see that the Sabbath was important to God. You know, Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 tells us that the Lord says that I am the Lord and I do what? I change not. How many of you are thankful that God doesn't change halfway through? In other words, we're not trying to figure out, you know, what's God talking about here? I I I don't realize what's taking place. But God says, I'm the Lord, I change not. And when He does have any sort of big transition, in other words, that the temple system is done away with, the sacrificial system, God makes it very explicit, right? He rips the veil from top to bottom. There's discussion all over in the New Testament about it. There's discussion in the Old Testament pointing to it. And it's very clear that God doesn't do anything, that He doesn't change, and that He's faithful. Now just to recap what we looked at, this is what we've discovered together this evening. That the Sabbath was given at creation, that the people were reminded of it at Sinai, that it was kept by God's people throughout the Old Testament, that it was kept by Jesus Himself, that it was honored by His disciples, and that it was a sign of God's power, right? Ezekiel chapter 20, it was a sign between me that I am the one who sanctifies you, right? You can't save yourself, but as you rest on the Sabbath, you're remembering the power of God to sanctify and change your heart. And the last one that we see is that the Sabbath is what the Bible tells us will be kept on the new earth. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's great. Did you just make that up? No, no, no. Notice what the passage of Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, speaking about the new heavens and the new earth, notice what it says. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, what's what's the cycle of when the moon goes around the earth? A month, right? And as from one new moon to another, another from one month to another, and from what? One Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. You know, when the the prophet Isaiah is in vision and he's seeing the new heavens and the new earth, he says there's going to be a time and in that time, we're not going to be doing anything different there than what we've done all throughout the time on earth here. But we're going to be spending special time with Jesus on the seventh day. Now, Revelation chapter 14, we already saw that God gives us call back to remembering His Sabbath, to resting in the beauty of His grace and His everlasting gospel. And this is what we're called back to. And at the end of those messages, God gives us the recap of what the people of God would look like at that time. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 says, Here are the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't say that they were just keeping nine out of the ten or eight out of the ten or whatever it is, but in their lives was seen the very character and the law of God being lived out through faith in what Jesus could do in them because they loved Him so much. They just said, Lord, I want to spend that special time with you. Now what I'm so thankful about the Sabbath, as I already told you, it's almost like a, a, a time to just de-stress and forget about all the cares of this world. And some of us really need that in a special way. I've heard about some people's work schedules and I know uh, people in my own family who work so hard that sometimes we forget about the blessings that the Lord gives us. But the Lord wants us to take that special time to refocus, to remember creation. To remember his beauty, to remember his goodness, to spend time with family, right? What God had naturally given us, to bond together. And God says that the Sabbath is meant to be a blessing for each one of us. Now some people here this evening, and and don't get me wrong of what's taking place, we're studying the Bible together, amen? We just want to see what does the Bible say? This is not a point the finger session. This is not who's better than who. But notice what the Bible does tell us. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 8. This is one of the first passages of Scripture I ever heard, and it's been a great encouragement to me, and I hope it is to you. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. It says, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines even brighter, ever brighter, until what? The perfect day. Now, what does that mean? When the sun comes up in the morning at 6 o'clock, is that the brightest it's going to be for that day? But is it enough for you to see? Absolutely. You, you continue to walk around, you can see, you can work a little bit, right? But as the day progresses and the sun continues to rise, does it get brighter? Do you do more? You know, can you, is your clarity of vision a little bit better? And this is how it is that the Bible describes us and God. In other words, the path of the just, right? It's giving us an analogy. Our path, those who are following Jesus, is like the shining sun, and it continues to get brighter and brighter the Bible tells us that thy word is a lamp unto my what? My feet and a light unto my path. In other words, the light from the word of God as we continue to walk gets brighter and brighter each step of the way. Now, does that mean when we didn't, when we learned something new that we were just foolish before when we didn't know that? No. How many of you felt foolish when you walked into the next grade that you hadn't been in yet, right? You just think, man, this is overwhelming. I won't get it all. But God continues to learn it, teach us piece by piece. We realize that the Bible is constantly trying to reveal truth to us to draw us closer to Jesus. And as we get closer to that perfect day or the time of Jesus coming back, it's going to be very clear that Jesus is going to make the light of his word shine more clearly upon our past. How many of you are thankful for that? That God doesn't leave us alone. God doesn't want us just to walk in the relationship with him that we've had 20 years ago. God doesn't want us just to be comfortable with where we were at a year ago or even yesterday. But God wants us to constantly be growing in grace. Now this isn't to say that those who haven't experienced the blessing of the Sabbath before have never known Jesus, right? Does that make sense? In other words, as we continue to learn, and as the Bible reveals things to us, we come to the point of saying, Lord, whatever your Bible says, whatever you teach me, I want to experience that, right? I want to experience the fullness of joy. I want to experience the fullness of the gospel and to have the rest that Jesus offers. We're not pointing fingers thinking, oh, who else is bad? Who doesn't get it right? But no, no, we're looking at what is Jesus continuing to reveal to me and make clearer through his word. You know, tonight, and many of you know this, that we we have a little bit of a pattern, and this is something that's helpful for me. It's not something we do every night, but it's a response card. Now, this response card is not to put you in the hot seat, but it does one thing. It helps us to understand what it is that you're hearing and what you're understanding. Have you ever noticed that you say some things and it doesn't come out right? So this is a time that we can use this response card, and I would encourage those who are going to be passing this out to pass it out at this time, where we can just look at this topic that we've just studied together, and what we want to say is, is it clear from the Bible? If it's not clear from the Bible, I don't want anything to do with it. But if it's clear from the Bible, how can we continue to learn more about it? Now, some of you, if you've come to this presentation, this is old news to you, and you've heard it before. Others have you, have you heard it? It might be the first time, and there might be questions. And notice there's some great helpful questions that will just help us to understand what it is that we heard from this message today. And also, it gives us an opportunity to respond to what we're hearing, right? Jesus doesn't want us just to learn, but he says, blessed are those who hear those words and keep them and do those things which are written therein, right? That was Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And notice what this card says. You can can put your responses there. The first one says, I love Jesus and I want to keep his commandments, right? Isn't that what John Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15? If you love me, you keep my commandments. Number two says, I choose to worship him who made heaven and earth by keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. Lord, I want to do that thing. If you're calling us back to that in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, help me to understand it. Now there might be some who say, well, I'm not so sure about that. I would like some more information on this topic. It's new to me. I haven't heard this before. I have questions about it. And please check that third box. Now, if you have specific questions, check the fourth box and write them on the back of this call. This is a time for us to learn together to explore the Bible and say, what is important to Jesus? Because if it's important to Jesus, I want it to be important to me. This media was brought to you by Audioverse